Hello, friends of the world, Australia, United States, France, Israel, and many other countries that listen too, but I don't want to be a secondary character. I hope you're having a wonderful day or evening or whatever the hell it is where you are. My name's Ivan. I'm Stephen. And we're back Skyping for another episode of But I Don't Want to Be a Secondary Character, a Seinfeld podcast about the minor and secondary characters of our favourite show, Seinfeld. And we're up to episode five of season two, Stephen. Can you believe it? Yeah. Uh, every week feels like a small accomplishment, and this is episode 23 overall. Uh, before we get into it, I need to ask, why did you pick those four countries? Were they the first four that just came to mind? Yeah, they they were pretty much, yeah. <laughs> because we're able to, based, based on our records, we're actually able to see where the, uh, the hits come from, and they were just the first. Well, obviously, Australia and the United States are the most common ones, but we have other countries as well, but uh, two of those countries I just picked randomly. So there you go. Yeah, we were surprised last week because we got uh, quite a few listeners in a short amount of time from the United Arab Emirates. So if that was you, uh, or if you're in the UAE, hello. Yeah, we hello. appreciate it. It's great. Yeah, and also from Germany, we had quite a few hits as well. I think, Stephen, when we did the uh, Pony Remark episode, you did have a, a new segment, a Seinfeld news segment on uh, Germans uh, and Seinfeld. So I think that must have uh, resonated with the audience. Yeah, maybe. I mean, <laughs> I was in Germany for a couple of weeks. You were? Uh, don't know if there was a direct link. Uh, <laughs> it seemed to be from uh, one or two locations. Yeah. So, yeah, if you're in Germany as well, hello. Oh, you you're supposed to say that. All your super fans are there, and they found out you were sure. in the country, and they thought, let's download Bidwabask. Yeah, I did have uh, some people mobbing me on the street, so. <laughs> danke, danke, danke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pretty I got, much. I got a lot of bread and cheese and German things. Oh, uh, wonderful. Yeah, it's good. But it's good to be back in Australia. In oh. the same time zone, it's a bit easier to coordinate with you. Yeah, I know. In the, the same time zone, the same time. But uh, we're still yeah. we're still Skyping. We'll be uh, we'll be back in the studios very soon, hopefully, if all goes well. We'll be uh, back together doing uh, in-person talking. Yeah, we will. This has been a temporary thing, but it's worked out well so far. Yeah, so far so good. Yeah, no, it's been it's been all right. Um, but anyway, Stephen, let's move on to the episode. Before we get into your Seinfeld news, we're heading to Season 8, Episode 20, and we're going to talk about the Millennium. Now, Stephen, before we get into Seinfeld news, do you think the Millennium began in the year 2000 or 2001? Well, I don't know. I guess it depends on what calendar you subscribe to. Hmm. Uh, there was not a year one, so... For there to be 2,000 years that have actually passed, I guess it would start in 2001. There you go. But the millennium as a, as a thing that was celebrated, Yeah. Um, you know, I, I had I went to a party in high school on December 31st of 1999. Yeah. So I guess culturally it starts in 2000, but when you look at the amount of years that have actually passed, it should technically start in 2001. Yeah. That 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 is the end of the second thousandth year. Yeah. So Jerry Jerry was right. Years. Newman was wrong. Yeah, that's it. That's <laughs> it. <laughs> that's it. And Newman and, makes uh, that Newman makes that noise when he in disgust. He goes, Pring! you know the bring. Yeah. Yeah. I I I've been watching uh, Seinfeld on my computer. Yeah. Uh, I admittedly I've downloaded some seasons, and uh, some of the seasons have subtitles. And yeah. the subtitle that came up for Newman Sound was Squawks, Squawk. which I thought was great. <laughs> I could call it a squawk. It is kind of a squawk. It's a... 
It's like it's like that kind yeah, of. Yeah, I can't even. I can't even do it. Nah. I don't think either of us doing very well, but it's a yeah, it's a squeak or a squawk or something. Something of that nature. What is called a squawk? I, I consider it like sure. a wheeze. Yeah, it's just it's just a I guess an expression of, of frustration. Yeah, that's what I think it is. Expression of frustration from Newman because uh, according to you and, and Jerry, the millennium started in two thousand and one because there was no year zero. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah, and if you disagree yeah. with our statement, and if you think, <laughs> and if you think it was indeed in the two in year two thousand when the millennium started, or if you just want to say hello or whatever, uh, drop us an email: bidwabaspodcast at gmail dot com. Yep, and uh, we have a website as well, bidwabask dot com. Uh, you can get at us on social media. Our handle is bidwabask. Uh, on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Say hello if you if you want to. Yeah, and if you want an episode that you want us to cover regarding the secondary characters, just let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, we've done a few uh, listener requests. Last week was one, um, the Pony Remark, and that was a lot of fun. So, yeah, uh, yeah, and it, and it saves us from thinking of an episode. Exactly. Makes our life a tiny bit easier. Yeah, we put more effort into the research of the current episode we're about to record. So, uh, yeah, more information and uh, knowledge to you. That's it. Yeah, so get in touch. Yes, let's get the news desk ready. Stephen's about to present Seinfeld News. So to start off Seinfeld News, this is probably the biggest news uh, in, uh, regarding Seinfeld for the week. It was covered by pretty much the whole internet. Uh, I think it was in July or August, uh, Netflix announced that uh, they'd struck a deal with Seinfeld to uh, release and also air a new season of um, Comedians and Cars Getting Coffee. And they also announced that they do two uh, Seinfeld specials. Um, and through the week, one of the specials, uh, the details of it were revealed. Uh, it's called Jerry Before Seinfeld. It comes out on Netflix uh, September 19. Uh, it'll be for uh, about an hour. Uh, and basically, it's uh, a, a mini documentary covering the really early years of Seinfeld before the actual show, uh, when he was a stand-up comedian in New York, uh, touring. I believe it covers basically his whole career uh, up until the show started in 1990. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, apparently, it will contain a lot of never-before-seen uh, never material. Um, and also, which I'm, I'm really looking forward to when it comes out, it will show off a library of legal pads of every joke Seinfeld has ever written since 1975, yes. as well as even childhood videos, so pre- Yeah, and if you look at Jerry's Facebook page, because that, that, that special is coming out on September 19, if you actually look at his Facebook page he, when he made the announcement, he's actually got a few uh, a few notes already on, on a picture. So you can actually, if you can zoom in really close, some of them oh, are, for example, uh, cotton balls... Uh, tramway cable cars left um, yeah quite a few actually from the 70s if you really if you scroll in you can actually read huh. read some of them yeah okay I didn't see that picture I'll check it out yeah but yeah that, that special should be really good and I'm looking forward to the uh, to the second one as well I'm guessing that'll get released next year yeah yeah I think so yeah yeah I, I think the, the season 8 or 9 uh, the Netflix exclusive series of Comedians and Cars Getting Coffee will come out next year as well. I'm guessing it's in production now. Yeah, it would be. Yeah, and I'm, I'm guessing again that the second uh, the second special will be maybe about the, the show Seinfeld or, um, you know, maybe his career after Seinfeld. And, <gasps> but this this one's going to be about his early days before the, before the sitcom. Or maybe they'll do a Seinfeld revival where they're all old. Dun, 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 that would be dun, cool. Dun, dun, dun. Just like one season, that's all. That would be cool. I'd, I'd, I'd love for this to uh, to, to prompt... Uh, a reunion show, 
you know, yeah. even if it was one episode or something, you know, like part of part of the Seinfeld universe, maybe where are they now sort of thing. Yeah. Well, um, Curb Your Enthusiasm did that, I think, in season six or seven. They did a Seinfeld yeah. reunion, yeah. But, yeah, no, doing yeah. like even like a season, that'd be awesome, like 10 episodes or something. That'd be yeah, amazing. That, that would be really cool, actually. Yeah. And I don't think it would released unless it was really good up yeah. to the scratch if, uh, or up to the standard of, of the, the show itself yeah definitely. yeah if you if you're listening anyone from netflix or jerry or anyone who can influence that please uh, get on that yeah get, get on it for sure that, that'd yeah. be amazing <laughs> that's it <laughs> that's it uh, so the second bit of news yep uh as a lot of people would know uh jerry has been doing a lot of stand-up this year especially yes. in the second half he's just completed an australian and new zealand tour uh, back in early August. Mm. Mm. Um, and at the moment, uh, Dave Chappelle is also having a bit of a stand-up comedy, uh, comedy revival. Uh, he released a couple of Netflix, Netflix specials uh, earlier in the year. Uh, yep. They weren't received too well, but, uh, you know, it's good to see him back doing what he does best. He does. And as part of this whole thing of Chappelle sort of relaunching his um, stand-up career, he's doing a series of concerts at the moment in New York City. It's a 16-show uh, concert series oh, wow. at the City Music Hall, obviously yeah. of NYC. Yeah. And for each uh, set, he has a, a warm-up act, but each warm-up act is a high-profile comedian, probably on the same uh, level <laughs> of, of yeah. Famous Chappelle. And I think through the week, Jerry actually came out. Jerry? A, yeah, Jerry did a warm-up set for Chappelle. And the, the, the shows, uh, sorry, the, the, the support acts aren't announced. Um, they're a surprise for the crowd who were lucky enough to get tickets. Um, I didn't watch any footage of it, but uh, I did read a review uh, or an article more than a review, and uh, it said it was it was really good. Yeah, uh, basically in line with his current stand-up tour, a lot of the same content. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of it was focused on growing older and living in New York, uh, or New York State, but outside of NYC. Yeah, he lives in the Hamptons, doesn't he? Yeah, somewhere in upstate New York. Yeah, uh, on a pretty big, pretty big property. Don't yeah. know where though. Yeah. Yeah. So apparently that was really cool, and I think it's cool that Jerry would would do that. You know, I mean, because I, I guess on, you know, he's he's probably if you can quantify it, he's probably bigger than Chappelle, yeah. or at least he's more influential. Yeah. So the fact that he's humble enough to to do a warm up, um, a warm up set or a, or an opening set for Chappelle, and apparently they're not getting paid either; they're doing it all for free. So that's oh, pretty for cool. free. Jerry, Jerry doing it for free? That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure he made enough money on his Australian tour and all of his other tour dates, so probably not too bothersome. He's probably just doing a favor for his buddy. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it's even for charity. I didn't look too much into the to the to the uh, Chappelle series. Yeah. Um, but yeah, apparently each set he's uh, he's got a different high profile comedian coming out, which is really cool. Yeah, cool. now it's cool. I actually watched a Chappelle special on Netflix the other day, and uh, it wasn't too bad actually. Not his best, but uh, no, he's all right. Yeah, it wasn't too bad. It, it seemed it seems like he was just not as on point as he was at. Uh, you know, when he became really famous, I yeah. think he released Live at the Fillmore in 2004 or five, yeah. and that is just one of the best stand-up sets ever. I yeah. put it up there with Delirious by um, by Eddie Murphy, by, by Eddie Murphy or mm. Raw or anything by Billy Connolly. You know, just it'll be a timeless piece of comedy yeah. and really, really influential as well. But yeah, I, I'm pretty much in agreement. It wasn't as good, but yeah. it wasn't terrible either. And there was a bit of controversy about some of the jokes he made as well, oh, which. Yeah. Yeah, you know, um, I mean, I guess most comedians will offend some group of people. Yeah. Um, you know, unless they're unless they're Seinfeld. Yeah. He's so, he's so he's so G rated. Yeah, he is. I don't, yeah. I don't think he would offend anyone really. I think the worst word he's ever said was bastard. Yeah. I think that's like the worst name, the worst word he's ever ever said. Whereas you know, yeah. Chappelle drops the N word like every 
<laughs> Every yeah, 30 seconds. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he curses a lot. Yeah. Um, and maybe, I'm guessing Seinfeld has maybe said ass at some point. Oh, maybe once. Pretty sure he said it in the show, at least. He has, yeah. Yeah. So the third bit uh, of Seinfeld news, uh, it was an article I found on a website called patch.com. It's just a, a website about uh, New York culture, yeah. so arts and food and all sorts of things. And it was an article talking about uh, Tom's Restaurant, which is the real-life restaurant that Monks is uh, based on. That's correct. Well, was, film, was filmed at. The exteriors were filmed at Tom's Restaurant. That's right. And the article basically talked to the owner. Uh, the, 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 the writer talked to the owner about how fans still flock to Tom's Restaurant to take pictures and eat there. Um, you know, every day, tons of people take photos. Yeah. Um, so it was just about the lasting impact of the show um, and how it's still a, a pretty big tourist destination for Seinfeld fans in uh, New York. Yeah, that's one place I definitely got to visit when I go to New York or when I go to yeah. America, for that matter. <laughs> Haven't gone definitely. yet. Definitely. I think I think there are Seinfeld tours you can do, and I'm pretty sure they're kind of modelled um, or based off of uh, uh, Kramer's tours that he does. Ah, the Kenny, an, Kenny Kramer tours. Yeah, it's, yeah, in, yeah, a, it's yeah. in a season eight or nine episode. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, nice. and I did read, I don't know if it was in that article or in some other article, but when I was doing the, the research for the news, apparently, uh, did you say Kenny Kramer? Oh, I thought I thought it was Kenny Kramer Tours. Is that what he calls it in the episode? Or he just calls it Kramer oh, Tours? I can't remember. I haven't nah. seen that episode in a while. But apparently the guy who um, Kramer is based off of actually runs tours in New York. Called Kenny Kramer um, Tours. Oh, that's where I got it from. Yeah. Yeah, Kenny um, Kramer. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah and that, like, kind of like the soup Nazi um, the, the, that episode where Kramer has his own tours is sort of a, a, a parody or a piss take on the fact that the character, oh, sorry, the real life person that Kramer is based on yeah. has uh, his own tours. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that makes perfect sense. Yeah. I don't know if they're still going, uh, but they, they certainly did exist when the show was on. Oh, they'd have to be going, you'd think. Yeah, I'd be surprised if they weren't. It would be something that would be uh, <laughs> sustainable for sure. It'd be a travesty. That's what it would be. A stain be. on the history of New York. Yeah, that's it. So the fourth bit of news and the final bit of news, uh, I actually found this about half an hour before we started recording. Oh, cool. Um, currently, at the time of recording in America, um, in the south, mostly in Texas, uh, Hurricane Harvey is having a pretty big impact, um, and it's caused a lot of flooding. Um, you know, I think five or six people have died. It's it's pretty pretty horrible for a lot of people. And to our listeners um, in Texas, stay safe if you haven't evacuated already, and uh, we hope uh, we, we wish you all... Good fortune, and hopefully you can get out of this very well. Yeah, and if you have been affected, um, I hope, you know, um, I, I hope, yeah, hope you, as, as I haven't said, I hope you stay safe, and I uh, hope you find some relief, and, uh, yeah, hope things look up for you. Yeah, yeah, because we do have a few listeners in Texas, so if you're affected, uh, we wish you all the best and your families and your friends well, and, uh, yeah, take good care. That's all I'm going to say. Indeed, yeah, yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah, so as part of the, I guess, response to the, um, the, 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 the disaster of the hurricane, um, uh, Kevin Hart, who's a, who's a comedian from America, he, he, he started a, a like a, a fundraising effort. Um, and he put up an Instagram post and he actually tagged a bunch of celebrities, Beyonce, Jay-Z, The Rock. Oh, wow. Uh, Dave Chappelle, um, and he also tagged Jerry Seinfeld, and he's basically uh, in the post calling on them to to donate money or at least spread the word to their fans. Yeah, nice. Um, and there's actually a hashtag, um, you know, if you want to sort of look into it, it's hur- uh, hashtag Hurricane Harvey Relief Challenge. Yep. I didn't look too much into what the actual goals of the challenge are, but I'm guessing it's just fundraising uh, to donate to maybe the Red Cross or recovery programs to help out people they've lost. 
homes and, you know, probably have medical costs and all sorts of things. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Well, yeah. that's a good cause. And, uh, yeah, if you want to donate, donate. Yeah, indeed. And, I, you know, props to Kevin Hart as well. I think that's really cool. Yeah, good he work. Not, not only put himself out there, but he tagged a bunch of friends who, you know, to be honest, have got a lot of money. Yeah. You know, and hopefully they all chip in some significant amount and, and help out people who aren't, uh, you know, aren't as fortunate as them. I hope they do. Indeed. Uh, and that's all the Seinfeld news I have this week. So, Lovely. yeah, mostly mostly the, the Netflix special is, is the big one and definitely something we're looking forward to. We'll no doubt talk about that uh, later in September when it comes out. I'll be sure we will. That, that'll be a feature of Seinfeld news. Indeed. Indeed. When we come back, we'll have a little break. We're going to go to Season 8, Episode 20, The Millennium. You're listening to But I Don't Want to Be a Secondary Character. By the way, Newman, I'm just curious... When you booked the hotel, did you book it for the Millennium New Year? As a matter of fact, I did. Oh, that's interesting, because as everyone knows, since there was no year zero, the Millennium doesn't begin until the year 2001, which would make your party one year late, and thus, quite lame. (laughs) Oh. And welcome back to But I Don't Want to Be a Secondary Character, a podcast about the secondary characters of our favourite show of all time, Seinfeld. And uh, you're with Stephen and my good mate... Ivan. Hello, hello, hello. And today we're talking about a episode from Season 8 of Seinfeld. It's called The Millennium. Yes. Uh, and so far, we've given you a bit of Seinfeld news. Uh, and right now, Ivan's going to take the reins and give you a synopsis of the episode itself. Yeehaw! I'm going to grab my... Pony that I that we talked about from the Pony Remark <laughs> last week, and we're going to ride into 2000 or 2001. When did the Millennium begin? Who cares? <laughs> well, let's get into it. All right, so quick synopsis about the Millennium. First aired in the United States on May 1st, 1997, directed by Andy Ackerman and written by Jennifer Crittenden, or Crittenden, if I pronounce that correctly. I couldn't figure out how to pronounce that either. We'll just call her Critter. Jennifer Critter. Yeah, Jay, we'll just call her JC. Or oh, J Crit. <laughs> Jay Crit, yeah. Jay Crit. That's actually a good name. That's that's a hip hop name. That is Jay Crit, mother. Jay yeah. Crit. Yeah. <laughs> Jerry dates a lady called Valerie, played by Lauren Graham. Uh, he uses her phone speed dial feature as a ranking system for her friends and family. When Jerry lands the number one spot, he gets caught in a war between Valerie and her domineering stepmother, Mrs. Hamilton, played by Luann Gideon, with some uh, hints of Mrs. Robinson from The Graduate. Very, uh, very uh, overt references to that film. Uh, later, Mrs. Hamilton is poisoned by eating a silica gel, or I think it's called dis- dissidence or dis- dissidence. Desiccant. Desiccant, that's the one. Or we call it silica gel in Australia. Uh, from a bowl of salsa left by Kramer in a mine clothing store called Puta Mayo. Ooh, Machu yeah. Picchu. Ooh, Machu Picchu. <laughs> <laughs> I love how he says Machu Picchu. It's it's a place. It's not it's, it's not the name of it. I know it's the name of the food. Yeah, and I love how he, <laughs> I love how I love his alter ego, H.E. Pennypacker. He's, I'm he's, considering uh, investing in a silver mine in Peru, but I just want I like to- how he. I like his long job, to, or his long sort of business title. I'm a, I'm a wealthy, I'm a wealthy American industrialist. Yeah, wealthy American industrialist. That's it. And he goes, so, you know what? I changed my mind. I'm going to build a roller coaster. Yeah, I'm looking to open a silver mine in Peru, and I want to get a little native. Yeah, that's it. And when he walks into the uh, to the change room, those are women's clothes. Yeah. Oh, that's quite all right. Oh, that's quite all right. <laughs> <laughs> and he breaks the price tag gun. Yeah. 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 That's a crown. Yeah, it is. And uh, Mrs. Hamilton gets sick, like I said, from the uh, silica gel. Uh, Valerie breaks up with Jerry when it's found that his preset, his uh, speed dial preset, rather, is hidden under Mrs. Hamilton's poison control speed dial. Meanwhile, Elaine declares war on Putamayo and saleswoman Gladys, played by Victoria Mahoney. Papo 
purchasing her clothing from rival store Cinco de Mayo. It's revealed that Gladys is not only a salesperson, but she owns both stores. And what a kick in the pants for Elaine. Uh, yeah. Kramer, yeah. Kramer, under his alter ego H.E. Pennypacker, uh, the wealthy American industrialist, um, unsuccessfully <laughs> attempts to get Putumayo out of business, as we mentioned before. Kramer and Newman start a rivalry as they both have organised a Millennium Party. But in the end, they agree to co-host the event on Kramer's condition that Jerry's invited. Now, this is one of my favourite <laughs> B stories of episode of season eight. Uh, George has a chance meeting with the New York Mets executives Minkler, played by Michael Luskin, and Mooney, played by Bruce Jarcho, Jarko, uh, where they offer him a role as the head of scouting, provided that he gets himself fired from the Yankees. Uh, after several attempts, George retains his job, and when his last attempt land him, lands him in Steinbrenner's office, his boss Wilhelm, Richard Hurd, takes the blame and is fired, revealing to George that he'll go to the Mets as the head of scouting. I reckon that's a good V story. It was very funny. Yeah, yeah. I, I like the sort of irony of the fact that George is so incompetent at basically everything, yeah. but it just doesn't doesn't work out the way he wants. Yeah. And I love the little I love the little scene between him and uh, Jerry in the oh, car. Yes. I think they're in the cab. Yeah, and, that's uh, right. Yeah. George is really upset that he can't get fired. And Jerry just goes, I have no confidence in you. I have no confidence in you. You suck. You, you suck. You suck. Thank you. It's, and it's like it's meant to be an inspirational, you know. <laughs> inspirational yeah, conversation I just, yeah i just love the counterintuition of the fact that uh you know he's tr- he he sucks at sucking that's yeah. just so yeah, yeah. yeah it actually yeah. it doesn't it doesn't actually just not work it actually improves his his i guess his status or whatever at, at the yankees yeah i love how he goes i have to pick myself up dust myself off and throw myself back on the floor <laughs> i'll throw, throw myself back, right back down again yeah that's it yeah, that's good yeah that's yeah. the Jerry goes. That's the spirit. <laughs> yeah, and I uh, I love him. Uh, you know, acting really badly when uh, he's in Babe Ruth's uniform. Oh he's, yeah, oh, strawberries are good this time of year. Oh, gotta get the juicy ones. Yeah, and then and then he's in uh, Steinbrenner's office, and Steinbrenner's grilling him, and he thinks he's going to get fired, yeah. and he's pretending to sort of be upset, and uh, he goes, "That was just what this club needs." Babe Ruth was, what is it, was a fat old man with little girl arms or something. And he wasn't even a sultan. You know what I found yeah. out? He wasn't even a sultan. Because yeah, his nickname, that... Babe Ruth's nickname, he was actually known as the Bambino and the Sultan of Swat. Oh, so I got some info okay. about the Yankees I was going to mention. Uh, so, yes. And uh, the other fellow, Lou Gehrig, um, was a Yankees legend as well. He's the one who's uh, Steinbrenner wore his pants and said, oh, I hope that nerve disease you had isn't in there anymore. Lou Gehrig's disease. Yeah, Lou Gehrig, yeah, that's it. That reminds me, a bit off topic, but it reminds me of a really good scene from The Sopranos where Christopher, who's uh, Tony Soprano's protege, yeah. um, because they're, you know, they're, they're street smart, but they're not very intellectual. He makes. He's trying to sound intelligent. He makes a point in some scene. He goes, "Don't you think it's weird that Lou Gehrig was the only person with Lou Gehrig's disease?" <laughs> <laughs> and then the sense. other the other people around him are just like, "Yeah, good, good, good." Uh, good, good observation point, there, mate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He wasn't. Yeah, he wasn't too bright, Chris, was he? <laughs> no, no, no. no. Oh, what does he say? He's like. Have you ever noticed how weird it is that Lou Gehrig has Lou Gehrig's disease? <laughs> <laughs> I know. He just had no no brains. That yeah. yeah. Other secondary. So, oh, sorry. I was gonna. I was just gonna mention a couple other secondaries. Yeah, go for it. Yeah. So uh, Maria Cena, she played the Putumayo saleswoman, and uh, Steve Corrin makes an appearance as himself. Uh, he was the commentator who commented on George streaking on the field. Yeah, I saw that. I saw that in the credits, but I didn't. I didn't really find out who who he um, like who he was in the episode. Yeah. Yeah. No, he was the commentator. A couple of trivia facts about the episode, Stephen. Uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus was pregnant during the episode. 
Um, the episode's ending was originally intended for the coffee shop to be underwater in the year 2000, but it was discarded due to budget and time constraints. Okay. Yeah. Uh, speed dial, in case you're probably wondering, millennials, what the hell speed dial? We don't use that junk anymore. Uh, it was invented in 1965 and became popular in the 90s. Uh, it lets users place a call by pressing a reduced number of keys as a person's phone number is assigned as a preset on the phone. Did you ever use speed dial? Yeah, yeah. When I was growing up in Brisbane, uh, we had those classic... Uh, Telstra phones from the 90s and I think you could put in eight yeah. preset numbers mm-hmm. and because it was my parents phone it was mostly just family and I guess some of their friends mm. but I think I have a vague memory of maybe being allowed to put one or two numbers in yeah and it was it was it was like it was like in MySpace top eight friends before MySpace it was very contentious, very if, contentious. If, yeah, yeah yeah you know it was it was a hard decision to make who do I put unless you have a clear best friend or you're only, you've only got one or two friends or something mm. uh, yeah it's some hard decisions to make as a as a young teenager if I if you had speed dial now where would I sit that's the sixty four thousand dollar question would I be in your top ten <laughs> Don't put me in the spot. Okay. <laughs> um, well, it depends how good dates are that you take me on. Ah, okay. Yeah. Okay, fair yeah. enough. I, Look, I'd put you at number one. Ah, sweet. Yeah. I hope you don't have, like, an angry stepmother or uh, a female <laughs> relative who'll, uh, who'll declare war on me for the speed dial. Yeah, no, I don't. Not that I know of. Okay. But maybe maybe I have to put you on speed dial for that person to, to, to come at me. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> um, and I, I like George's point about... You know, he was pretty impressed, like Jerry, about the fact that he was on the speed dial. Yeah. And he makes a really good point because I remember it very clearly about how annoying it is to lift the little tab up to lift the piece of plastic onto write on the paper. Oh, yeah, that, the, may, that would be a lot of it. Sorry, the name for the, for the speed dial. That's it. That when, he said that, when he said that, I was like, yes, yes, that is so true. That is very true, yeah. I know. Speed dial, you know, kids these days don't understand how good they have it. You know, you just got to yeah, type yeah, someone's yeah, number in or name in and you got their number. Bang. That's it. Yeah. yeah, the fact that you didn't have to remember a number or at least write it down in a in a in a in an address book was uh yeah, it was pretty pretty um pretty good back in the day. Back in the day, I know. And just one more trivia uh trivia segment or rather about the New York Yankees. Um you know, cuz in in um you know, when George tries to get fired, the one which is the last straw. You know that trophy that George is driving around while he's got the megaphone? Uh, yeah. That's a World Series trophy, and uh, the New York Yankees have won 27 of them since 1923. Uh, and their most recent win at the time of the episode being aired was 1996. So uh, it may have been likely George used that one for the parking lot or in the parking lot to try and get fired. Yeah, well, the, the episode aired in 1997, so... Yeah. And uh, that one in 96, that was their latest yeah. uh, prior yeah. to that, yeah. Is is the is the World Series trophy like say the Ashes of cricket where there's just one thing and it's just passed to the winning team or is there a new trophy every year? Do you know? Oh, I'm not too sure. I, I just saw that one and I thought because you know in Australia baseball isn't really a big sport. So if you're a baseball fan, get in touch with us. You know, like was that one in the episode? Is that an actual World Series trophy? I'd love. I'd be very yeah. curious to find out. Yeah, I don't think it was made of very good stuff because it broke away pretty easily. It did, but then again, George had it in the back of his car and it was. Uh, you know, the the pavement was damaging it, so you never know. That's that's true. Mm. That's true. One other episode, uh, one other point I wanted to make about the episode yep. was we actually talked about this before we started recording. It's one of it's the only episode I can think of. There probably is more episodes um, where every character out of the core four, every major character, has their own storyline, and they all have equal time. Not not. Um, I guess the the speed dial story is probably the primary story yeah. because it's Jerry. Yeah. But it feels like. You know, if you if you went through the episode and recorded how many minutes are dedicated to each storyline, I'm sure they'd be pretty close. It would be very close, and I like how Kramer's Kramer's Millennium Party actually intertwines with 
um, Jerry, and then also his story goes with Elaine's story. Yeah, they kind of intersect, whereas George's is totally separate. Doesn't, yeah, yeah. Usually, I mean, usually they end all of them intersect, you know, into one, but no, they don't. Yeah, I mean, it, what comes to mind is the um, the baby shower where they're all separate and they all kind of converge into Jerry's apartment and they all sort of play out. Yeah. But, yeah, from a writing point of view, if they'd somehow made George's story come in and, you know, interact with the other three at the end, that would have been amazing. That yeah, that would have been that would be really good. I reckon that would have um, brought the episode up by a couple of notches. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't take away from it, but um, yeah, it's just something I noticed. It's not. It's not often that many any episodes have a storyline for all four characters. Yeah, I know. Very interesting. And that was uh, when Jerry had writing control, you know, and those episodes. That's what he wanted to do, so he did it. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe it was uh, you know something of an experiment, or maybe it was something that the other three wanted. You know, yep. we wanted so we were all treated equally. Yep. I don't know, but yeah, it, it paid off and it was really good. It didn't feel like any, you know, you've got, what, 22 minutes to, to pack it all in there. Exactly. And it felt like each each storyline was written well, it was acted well. It didn't feel like it was all crap. It didn't feel like it was overloaded. Yeah. So, yeah, good, good, good writing. Yeah, good writing indeed. And uh, good secondary characters as well. Uh, I have notes for Valerie, Mrs. Hamilton, and Gladys. Do you have any uh, notes for any other characters I didn't mention? Yeah, so I've got notes for the saleswoman, yep. uh, Gladys' employee at yep. one of the stores. That's right. Uh, Mickler and Mooney. Uh, the two New York Mets uh, executives or, or recruiters. Oh, yeah, that's um, right. Mingler and Mooney, yep. Yep, and also just a couple of mentions. Um, and obviously we'll mention the secondary characters we've already covered or who'll get their own uh, episode later on. But uh, speaking of secondary characters, do you want to do you want to take a break and then come back and we'll, we'll dive into them? Yeah, that's good. We'll talk about Valerie first when we come back. And uh, you're on, but I don't want to be a secondary character, a Seinfeld podcast about the minor and secondary characters of our beloved show, Seinfeld. Hi, I'm a H.E. Pennypacker. I'm a wealthy American industrialist uh, looking to open a silver mine in the mountains of Peru. And uh, before I invest millions in a lucrative mine, I, I'd like to go a little native, uh, get the feel of their condiments, their unmentionables, you know, the real uh, gritty gritty. Well, let me show you what we have. Well, I think I can just browse around on my own. Mm, macho Picchu. Welcome back to But I Don't Want to Be a Secondary Character. And this week's episode where we're focusing on the secondary characters for is Season 8, Episode 20, The Millennium. Uh, and we're going to speak, first of all, Stephen, about Valerie. So uh, Valerie Stevens played by Lauren Graham. And uh, in case you're wondering who that is, if you watch the Gilmore Girls, you know who she is. Uh, she's most famous for portraying Lorelai Gilmore in 154 episodes of the show. Yeah, I, I've never seen the Gilmore Girls, but I certainly recognised her because the Gilmore Girls, when it was around, was pretty big. It was very popular, like late 90s, early 2000s, I think it came out? Yeah, I've got 2000s to 2007. Oh, was the okay. original. And then I think they did a... A, 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 a Netflix revival, I think. They yeah. Did, like a season, season or something. Yeah. Last year before or something. Yeah, but I don't I don't really know much about Gilmore Girls. I never paid much attention to it. No. Uh, the actress, Lauren Graham, she was also um, known for some film roles. So Sweet November... Uh, I don't know anything about that, but Bad Santa. Yeah, that's right. Film. Yeah, good movie, um, yeah. The Pacifier, which is basically the 2000s version of uh, Stop or My Mother Will Shoot. Yeah, um, with Vin, Vin Diesel. Diesel trying to do like a kid's role, yeah. Yeah, it was basically one of those cases where it was kind of reminding me of Kindergarten Cop as well, or Junior, where, you know, uh, a big muscly guy has been playing serious uh, action roles for five or ten years and wants to do something a bit more lighthearted. Yeah. It was definitely the 2000s version <laughs> of, uh, of those two films. That's right. And she was also in Evan Almighty, the inferior sequel to Bruce Almighty. Yeah, I, I never Bruce saw it. Bruce Almighty is pretty good. Yeah. I thought it was a good return to form for Jim Carrey. I thought I it never, was. Never watched Evan Almighty. Yeah, that was with Steve Carell. 
Uh, yeah, but it wasn't that good. Because yeah. he was he was a character in Bruce Almighty, wasn't it? Uh he was. Yeah, yeah, he was in the first one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Yeah, and recently Lauren also played Sarah Braverman in 103 episodes of Parenthood, which finished in 2015. So another okay. another series, a drama comedy. I think it was drama, I think, or comedy. I'm not too sure. Okay, um, I just remember the the 80s movie with Steve Martin Parenthood, which is getting hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that was a spin off of the movie. I don't know if they're related. <laughs> no, no, no. And it's got. I think it's one of Keanu Reeves' first roles as well. Ah, awesome. for real? Was he like? Yeah. Whoa. Yeah, he's. I think he's the dumb boyfriend of Steve Martin's daughter. Oh, nice. And she's sort of sexually active with him, and yeah. he's, you know, bothered by it, and he's trying to win him over, and yeah. he's just he plays that classic early Keanu Reeves role where he's just sort of a bit dopey, yeah. but sort of upbeat and also charming. Yeah. Um, yeah, good film. Woo. Cool. Woo. Woo, dude. Anyway, yeah. anyway, dude, let's talk about Valerie. I don't know much about her, I guess. You know, she takes the speed dial very seriously, doesn't she? Yeah, I think it's quite uh, an obsession of hers. And to me, it demonstrated uh, the fact that she's very competitive uh, with her stepmom, Mrs. Hamilton. And it made me think that she's probably competitive in general. Yeah. Whether it's because maybe she was neglected growing up and she feels like she has to prove something to her stepmother or maybe she's just got a competitive nature and she just has to win. Yeah. Yeah. But it was a very unlikable trait. Yes. Yes. And I found her quite superficial as well, mostly because of the scene where, um, you know, Jerry turns up to her apartment late and she's overtly displeased with, uh, their, their previous state and the fact that Jerry's late and she, she's quite passive aggressive about it. Yeah. And, you know, she blames Jerry for the for the bad restaurant. I think it's Mongolian barbecue that they go to. Yep. Um, and she kind of storms off. She acts like a bit of a an entitled child, really. Entitled brat, and, yeah. And then poor Jerry drops to number seven on the speed dial from number three. No, it drops from number nine. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. Initially, it's number seven, yep. and then he drops to number nine. That's right. And then yes. after after the the dates and the stuff that he does to make up for the for the for the bad date and the gift certificate from Barnes and Noble. Yeah, that's right. And the handsome cat ride, and I think they go to the theater. And yeah. They go to a nice dinner. That's it. And flowers as well. He yep. goes straight to number one. But I don't get that because they've just come back from the day. Yeah, and he's number one. So he's already number one. So that was just. I think that was just bad writing. Or maybe, because... like, I guess, I guess one way to defend the writing, maybe Jerry like called her and said, "Look, I'll do all these things for you," and then she probably thought, "Oh, he's such a sweetie," and he put him to number one before they went on the date. That's true. Or maybe they went on the date the night before and the flowers was just the finishing touch the day after or something. Maybe. But it was just it was just a bit of a confusing thing of hang on. Yeah. They've just come back. You you assume they've just come back from the dates. How exactly. can she already change the unless unless like they've come back to the apartment and you know, straight away she changed his his ranking and you just don't see it. I don't oh, know. Well, but it's really just weird. one of those things of like that doesn't sort of line up properly. No, that doesn't make um, sense. You're right, it is a little bit of a plot hole. Yeah, I also found her quite, um, well, not quite, but have made an assumption that she's a bit indecisive as well, especially mm. with ranking, um, you know, the, the speed dial ranking, because if you pause the scene where Jerry notices that he's dropped to number nine, yeah, what you would expect to see is that Jerry's name would have been rubbed out for number seven and replaced with someone else, mm. and then another person's name rubbed out for number nine and replaced with his. Yeah, but actually, it was Jerry's name that was rubbed out under number nine, so she'd already changed it. Yeah, obviously thought about it. Yeah, rubbed it off and then gone. No, hang on, he 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 is number nine. That's an amazing then, pickup. I never noticed that. Yeah, and and has rewritten his name under number nine. So unless again, unless it was just a, a mistake in the in the writing. 
if you know assuming that it's you know quote unquote correct um that would make me think that she she it's not an easy decision for her to rank her speed dial um you know well her speed dial you know that she 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 second guesses her decisions yeah that sounds like it yeah now she's a very indecisive person and i don't know just I, I didn't like her character too much i think it's one of the more uh yeah like you said the more passive aggressive episode girlfriends that jerry's ever had yeah, just when she acts like a child, when um, you know, some sometimes dates are bad, sometimes they go well, sometimes you know, and that's just life in general. Sometimes things don't work out, and the fact that she just acts like a petulant child is very annoying. Yeah, I know, I know, you know? not a really likable character. No, and I mean, it's just a comedic device, the speed dial ranking. Yeah, but the fact that she even associates someone, I didn't like as well that she obviously associates someone's value to her. Yeah, um, you know, on a on a speed dial, like that's. You know, everyone's different and everyone's got positives and negatives. You yeah. can't just quantify someone on a one to ten speed dial as well. Yeah. So I don't think I think I think she's yeah, quite superficial. Yep. And um annoyingly competitive as well. Yeah. I liked Mrs. Hamilton a lot better. I reckon she was a better character. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And um just a couple of more points on Valerie. I think yeah. just just looking at her apartment and I guess her attire, I think she's quite boring and just very normal and conventional. Very I don't think conventional, she's conventional, yeah. Yeah, I don't think she's got any edge to her. And, um, you know, that's not a bad thing. It's just a, a thing that I noticed. There was nothing that screamed out at me that she's got some sort of interesting hobby or, you know, she has an interesting worldview or something like that. I think she's just very run-of-the-mill, you know, boring and, I guess, unmemorable in a, in a way. Yeah, no, definitely a very cookie-cutter, cookie-cutter. A cookie cutter, that's what I was trying to say. A cookie cutter uh, character, and yeah, that speed dial, it's a weird hierarchical system she's got going on there. Yeah, and and to me that demonstrates how boring she is, I guess, because if if you've got so much time to think about who, like, who is who on a speed dial, like, who has the time to even think about that, let alone do it? Yeah. So I don't think, you know, I I think it's really important to her because she's got nothing else to occupy her mind or time. Yeah, definitely. No, she's certainly got a lot of time, too much time on her hands. Yeah, and I was I was thinking as well, I didn't really come up with anything, but it, it occurred to me how, again, it's just a comedic device and it's just a bit funny and weird, but I'm sure there are people obsessed with, with weird things like that out in the world. Of and how, how would that even start? Like what started her obsession with ranking people on her speed dial? I don't know. Well, her stepmother seems pretty uh, pretty keen on the act, you know, <laughs> regarding speed dials. It could have been something that maybe she was raised with, you know, like because my I was going to we we're going to talk about Mrs. Hamilton in a second. But one of the points I was going to make was I think Mrs. Hamilton probably became her stepmother when she was a child, you know, like maybe yep. Valerie's parents divorced or lost her mother or something. And then her father remarried and met Mrs. Okay. Hamilton. I think Mrs. Hamilton must have. You know, been, I reckon she too was obsessed with the speed dial, and she probably dug it or you know dr- drilled it into Valerie, saying speed dial is important. It's an important ranking system. You know, people who are in your top three or four are special, and everyone else, you know, they're pretty average or they're not as important. So I reckon, okay. I reckon Mrs. Hamilton uh, bred it into her. Okay, with That's the obsession point. with the speed dial. But we'll mention uh, we will talk about Mrs. Hamilton in a sec. Do you have anything else? Yeah, we will. Do you have anything else about Valerie? No, that was it for Valerie, yeah. No, I didn't really have too much about her. I, I couldn't really... There wasn't too much to work with for her. No, very forgetful, no, no. Very forgettable character. Yeah. And oh, the only other point I had is that I think she's a bit of a romantic as well. She appreciates those stereotypical romantic gestures from men, you know, flowers, theatre, handsome cab rides, which, again, I think comes back to the fact that she's quite boring and conventional because they're typical boring Cliché expressions kind of, 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 um, of love. Of, yeah, of, of feelings or, or whatever. 
Yeah. Well, one thing, yeah. one thing certainly to note, I think Lauren Graham, besides the what's the deal with characters that we've done and, and the actors and actresses, I think Lauren Graham's probably the most famous secondary character actor we've spoken about, you know, in a normal episode. Yeah, I think she's the most famous so far. Because there's really, yeah, there's really, there's a lot more, there's a lot more famous ones, but we haven't covered them yet. So I'm sure we'll get to yeah. them soon. Yeah, a lot of the actresses that we've we've done, you know, a lot of uh, Jerry and George and Kramer's episode girlfriends that we've covered, you know, they haven't gone on to be well-known actresses for a series. But obviously, Lauren Graham is mostly for Gilmore Girls. Yeah, I think you're right. She's the most famous. Well, in a few weeks' time, we're doing an episode with a really uh, famous. Uh, actress uh, we won't mention too much but she was uh, she was one of Jerry's uh, episode girlfriends in an episode and uh, we're going to speak about her in a few weeks we won't mention too much you can probably guess who it is uh, I, yeah. uh, hint uh, she was very good friends with uh, some people so uh, yeah that might give you a hint yeah yeah, yeah. no that should that should be a good one that should be a um, good one did you want to talk about mrs hamilton let's do it uh, played by luann gideon she appeared in the secret world of alex mack a uh, teenager tv show in the 90s uh, she also made appearances in the tv show search for tomorrow and she was in the 1993 film airborne and uh, she tragically passed away in 2014 yeah, I was surprised to read that because yeah. I mean, she would have been, what, in the 60s, I guess? Oh, not even, point? I reckon. Probably, yeah, probably 50s, 60s, yeah. Too young. Yeah. Yeah, so what did you think of Mrs. Hamilton? Mrs. Hamilton, I think, a much better character than Valerie, I think. She, uh, obviously, her character is a nod to Mrs. Robinson from The Graduate that I mentioned earlier. You know, her seductive techniques on Jerry. And Jerry, you know, with his lines, he says back things like, oh, Mrs. Hamilton, I don't think this is a good idea. This is in reference to Dustin Hoffman's character. Um, okay, I have seen that. Yeah, it's basically a story of a young uh, graduate. Like, a, he, I think Dustin Hoffman, he's portrayed as like a 17, 18. And uh, he befriends, or he has an affair with a family friend's wife oh, and then eventually eventually he falls in love with her daughter and he has to kind of break off the affair in order to get with the daughter oh. yeah and it's and it's a nod like the things that jerry says because dustin hoffman's character he was very naive you know he was a virgin and he goes oh mrs mrs robinson i don't think us being together is a good idea uh you know mrs robinson you're making me nervous you know things like that and uh Mrs. Hamilton, if you watch The Graduate, or if you know of The Graduate, uh, Mrs. Hamilton definitely, uh, it's, it's an homage to Mrs. Robinson, you know, the seductive cougar, I guess you'd say, or the uh, the temptress. Yeah, I, the first note I have actually is that she's a seductress, for sure. Yeah, yeah, so she's a, yeah. she's a nod to Mrs. Robinson, and that's okay. why she's mentioned as Mrs. Hamilton. <laughs> Very similar okay. name. She, you never you never know her first name. No, no, no. One, one other note I had actually is, to me, she reminded me a lot of Austin Powers. Austin Powers, as in... Austin, um, yeah, Austin Powers. Right, like what character? Yeah, uh, well, no, Austin Powers, the character. Oh, it's in the character. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't remember her saying, do I make you horny, baby? No. Oh, no, Mrs. No, Hamilton, no, I don't think she, that's a good idea. <laughs> you know when she gets in the car and yeah. uh, Jerry thinks that she's Valerie and oh, she spins right. it? And Jerry goes, you're not Valerie. Yeah. And if, if you're, yeah. there's a scene in Austin Powers, I can't remember what he says, but he tries to sort of sound suave and impressive, and he's like, blah, blah, blah. And he does like a, a head, like a head turn, yeah. and he raises an yeah. eyebrow. And also, I don't know, just, you know, she's a bit sort of mischievous and playful. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, she obviously likes to flirt. Um, with younger you know, men. Yeah, with younger men. Yeah. Um, you know, she yeah. obviously likes a bit of drama as well. Just a lot of her, like, mannerisms and expressions reminded me of Austin Powers. Well, Austin Powers, I think, came out in 1997. I think it was that year. So it might have been maybe a bit after it came out. There was probably, like, an homage to Austin Powers. Yeah, maybe. maybe. I don't know. 
Maybe. It could, it could just be a coincidence. I mean, we're not talking massive similarities. No. But just, just a little little thing was reminding me of, of what Austin Powers does and says, especially in the first one. Oh, definitely. Okay, yeah, that's a good yeah. point. I never, I never thought there'd be an Austin Powers reference in Seinfeld. But, uh, but, no, no, no. Um, I found her to be quite fashion-forward and stylish as well. Yeah. Um, and she, uh, just her clothes and the scenes that she's in and also the fact that she goes to, I think she goes to Cinco de Mayo or Puerto de Mayo, I can't remember. Um, with, with Valerie, you know, she, yeah, and she, you know, she obviously has a taste for Central American clothing as well. She does. She's very, uh, very worldly, I'd say. Yeah, and I think she also wants to be more classy than she is. The fact that she, and you know, when she says things like "blah blah blah," Jerome instead of Jerry, I think oh. she tries to act more, you know, upper class or more posh than maybe she actually is. Oh yeah, yeah. So she's like a champagne taste on a beer budget. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I, don't, I think she is quite cultured and intelligent and worldly, but I guess maybe economically or socioeconomically, she's not, you know, she's not part of the upper class. No, she's, she's not as refined, but she pretends. No, she, she tries to emulate them by just doing little things like by calling people their full names uh, rather than, than Jerry, you know, yeah. Jerome for Jerry. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very sneaky when she puts uh, Jerry under poison control as a secret. That's very, uh, very cheeky. And it gets her yeah, in the Yeah, like end. I said, I think she's quite mischievous, and she likes a bit of drama. Yeah. And it made me think, she's obviously got a lot of time for drama, so I don't think that she had kids herself. No. Um, no. Like you said, I think, I agree with that. She probably married um, Valerie's father yep. after after Valerie's mum left or died or whatever. Or whatever, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think because maybe she's never been maternal or motherly, hmm. maybe that's why her and Valerie have a bit of a competitive relationship. Animosity, not... yeah. And and I think yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think as well, like like I said just before, I think Mrs. Hamilton taught Valerie that the speed dial is a an important part of your friend system. And you know, you should carry it with you in life and you should rank people, you know, very superficial, but you have to rank people on the speed dial based on who you prefer. So I think that's why Valerie is so adamant about the speed dial, and I think that's why Mrs. Hamilton gets offended, because she says, a good point she makes is when she jumps in the car for the first time with Jerry, she says, I've been trying to go number one on that speed dial for 13 years, excuse me, 13 years. Yeah. You know, she's trying yeah, to, think- so obviously you, 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 you deduce that Valerie's probably in her 30s, so, yep. and I'm guessing Valerie probably moved out when she was 18, 19, maybe 20. And so mm. she got her first phone out of home and, uh, yeah, and she, and Mrs. Hamilton never got to number one. Obviously, Valerie doesn't like it too much. And uh, when she did get to number one, uh, for whatever reason, she dropped out and she found out and she got angry. Yeah, maybe maybe as well, because uh, she's Valerie's stepmom, maybe part of the contention between them is the fact that Valerie maybe resented her for the fact that she kind of replaced her mother in that role. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of kids have, even if it's not deliberate, have resentment for, uh, um, what's the word, uh, for people in their life who, who you know, like a stepbrother or, yeah, or a stepfather. They're not biologically related. Exactly, yeah. yeah. And maybe, maybe some of the resentment felt by Valerie towards Mrs. Hamilton comes out in the competition for the speed dial. Yeah. And I'm guessing... You know, I thought, what did, what would have she done or, like, why did it take so long for her to get to number one? And I'm guessing that Valerie just got sick of Mrs. Hamilton trying to, you know, manipulate her or just ask her to be number one. And she did it basically just to, to stop. To her. shut her up. Yeah, just, yeah, exactly right. Yeah, and then suddenly Jerry went into her life and uh, he rocked the boat and uh, Mrs. Hamilton came towering down. 
Yeah, and I mean, all really, obviously, all Mrs. Hamilton needed to do was take her on a handsome cab ride, take her to the theatre, and get us <laughs> in a Barnes and Noble voucher, and she would have been there. And she would have been number her, one again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah they didn't have nice. thirteen years of, uh, of competition. They could have. She could have just, you know, been a nice person and done something nice for her, and she would have been there. Because Valerie's boring and cliche like that, so she'd accept it. That's true. Yeah, that's it. So that's Mrs. Hamilton. Yeah, I really liked her. She was. She was. I mean, she's a bit of a jerk. Yeah. And, you know, she's quite manipulative, and she likes a bit of. Um, uh, of uh, mischief and salsa, a fun, yeah, a fun, yeah. She's saucy and she's quite. No, I'm saying she uh, liked salsa. <laughs> oh, sorry, I thought you said she was saucy. Well, she liked sauce too, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. She's quite, um, she's quite impressed with the Machu Picchu. Yeah, mm, Machu Picchu. <laughs> I think she, I think she takes a second chip as well. I think she does. I love how I love how, yeah, I, love how I love how Mister Pennypacker goes. Are these free? <laughs> yeah, yeah, even though he's a millionaire, he's like, are these, are these free? <laughs> He's free, and then he, he he puts too many in his mouth and coughs them. Yeah, so change. good, so good. Shall we yeah, move on to yeah. the next one? Yeah, for sure. So the next one is Gladys, yes. who is the owner of Puto de Mayo and Cinco de Mayo, and um, Helene's episode enemy. Episode enemy. She has a lot of enemies. Too many. Uh, <laughs> Yes, so Gladys, she's played by Victoria Mahoney, and uh, you probably don't know who she is because um, she's actually she withdrew from many years of paid acting gigs and uh, she studied film, uh, and it culminated in releasing her debut film, Yelling to the Sky. And in case you don't know what that is, it's a 2011 drama about a 17-year-old girl who's abandoned abandoned by her family and is left to fend for herself in a hostile neighbourhood, and it stars Zoe Kravitz. Okay, yes. yeah, I, I independent did, film. I did read that she she was a, a filmmaker more yes. than an actor. That's right. Yeah. 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 So I, I really like uh, Mrs. Hamilton. I really liked Gladys. Yeah. She was good. And I, I just love how, like, with, with her, you know, because you think if it's a salesperson on the phone and there's a customer, you'd think, oh, they're going to get fired. But, you know, she knows she's the, the top dog in uh, Mayan clothing in New York City. And she thinks, you know what? Fuck you. <laughs> you know, I've got, obviously, it sounds to me like she's doing very well in business because, you know, if she can get rid of one customer, there'll be a hundred others lined up. Yeah, so it's I not mean, like she's desperate. Owns, yeah, and I mean, anyone who owns two stores that are selling, I guess you would say, obscure clothing, yeah, uh, are obviously doing well. I think, yeah, I think she's quite confident and a bit smug. And I, I also think that maybe she's part of New York's like fashionista crowd. Yeah, you know, I think so too. In store owner, because when uh, when Elaine's trying to get her attention to buy the Harachis, uh, she's she's talking with I assume a friend on the phone and they're talking yeah. I think about martinis or some drink yeah. they're criticizing a drink um, so I'm guessing that she's quite sort of active in the club fashion scene in New York yeah and she's quite presence you know and that's sort of her 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 thing outside of running her businesses. Yeah, that's her thing, and uh, she's definitely up with the uh, with the high crowd in New York City. And and like I said, you know, she didn't like the look of Elaine, and I think she's she's earning enough money. She obviously it sounds like she has the monopoly in South American clothing in New York <laughs> yeah. City. So you know, the monopoly, all two stores. Yeah. So uh, yeah, she seems to be doing quite well. Maybe she has other yeah. ventures as well. You know, maybe you know, I guess they didn't have online shopping back then, but you know, she probably um you know had other stores or maybe I don't know, maybe she did fashion events. You know, she gave her she donated her clothes to fashion events, modeling events, you know, to, to drum up some money, some extra funds. Yeah, she might have her own label or something that she sells in the stores as well. Yeah, maybe, yeah, yeah. like a, a line of clothing to, like, you know, the, the big department stores maybe. Yeah, I reckon at some point she uh, was maybe a designer or a buyer. Yeah. Some, some, something a bit more technical. Yeah. Um, and then 
she wanted to to you know be a bit more in control of what she was selling and what she was putting out. And um, I think her stores would be quite curated. Uh, you know, she would select everything that is stocked based on you know a whole bunch of of uh, requirements. Maybe you know how they're made. Yeah how progressive they are, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, all that sort of stuff. You know what I find really ironic, Stephen? I reckon that I reckon Peterman's a fan of her work, and he probably, yeah. you know, because he loves all that kind of the worldly stuff, and ironic that she's Elaine's boss, and he probably loves uh, loves the clothing at Puerto Mayo and Cinco de Mayo too. That's true. Mm. But I think at the time, uh, Elaine is actually running Jay Peterman's company. Oh, he is, yes, that's right. Yeah, because Jay Peterman Oh, no, goes- he, he went to Burma. To Burma, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. right. Yeah, on a, on a, on a yeah. fact-finding mission. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, no, I think you're right. I think that Jay Peterman would be at least aware of her, um, yeah. if not a fan of her, for sure. Definitely, yeah. He, he'd love that kind of stuff. Yeah. I also think as well, based on the fact uh, that she, um, well, not really based on anything, but I just got the impression that she's probably a pretty cool boss. Yeah. Yeah. And she, she certainly doesn't suffer fools. She reluctantly interacts with Kramer. You know, Kramer's Kramer's shtick as H.E. Penny Packer is pretty transparent. <laughs> very and transparent. Just looks on her face. She's very unimpressed. And yeah. Just not not really uh, doesn't really fall for it. I don't think she suffers fools very well. No, no, no. He knows. That, he knows that. He, she knows that he's a fraud. Yeah, that is full of shit. Can see you know, right. Yeah, you're right. Transparent. Can see right through him. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think that comes back to the fact that she's quite confident and uh, a bit smug about her success and just her personality. Yeah, that's it. That's it. No, I think so. And I think Gladys is a good character. My second favorite yeah. compared to Mrs. Hamilton. Well, Mrs. Hamilton was my favorite. Gladys is my second favorite. Valerie was my least favorite character. <laughs> so there you go. Yeah. No, I, I really. I mean, she was a bit of a jerk to uh, to Elaine. to Elaine. Elaine was trying to get her attention. Yeah, but Elaine just took it way too far. She did. You know, she bought all those clothes from Puto de Maya, and she'd been dancing outside the store for two days. Oh, that's why there was so much rain. <laughs> yeah, that's one of my favorite lines of the episode. Yeah, it's good. That's a good one. Good, good, perfect. That's time. why we're getting so much rain. That's why we're getting and so then, much rain. Yeah, it's good. And then I love Elaine's reaction where she just looks at Jerry and goes, "Shove it." Yeah, shove it. Yeah, <laughs> so good. Yeah. yeah, and I just love how calm and uh, collected Gladys is when uh, when she comes out. Yeah, uh, she tells Elaine that she owns both stores. That's right, and just and then she goes, "Oh, this blows my something," and then walks out. This really sticks in my craw. Sticks in my craw. That's the one. And then she just walks out. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah so I, I like Gladys. Yeah, you know, she's she's cool. Good character. She, yeah, yeah. She just doesn't put up with anyone's shit. Nope. Nah, she doesn't fuck around, does she? No, she doesn't. Um, I guess the the it's worth mentioning as well. Uh, there's a secondary character. She's just credited as saleswoman. Yeah, she works in Puto de Mayo, which is uh, Gladys's second store, the one that Elaine thinks that she doesn't own. Yep. And she's plans trying to convince her to um, to put Cinco de Mayo out of business. That's it. She's played by Maria Cena. Yeah, that's right. The only thing I had was that she's quite quiet because she literally does not say a word. Yeah. She doesn't She doesn't really respond to Elaine in any way, and then she gets Gladys, and then Gladys comes out and reveals that she's the owner of both stores. Yeah, that's it, much yeah. To, uh, much to Elaine's chagrin. Yes, indeed. Her dissatisfaction. <laughs> yeah. Um, the only, do you have any other notes about uh, Gladys? Or? No, no, no. Gladys or the saleswoman, no. I, I don't have any other notes for the other characters. Did you want to just rush through the uh, other secondaries very quickly? Yeah, so I've got a few bits and pieces about Ming. And Mooney. Yeah, I couldn't find out who's who. I yeah, didn't know me either, who, me who was Mooney. I guess you would by by looking at the actors' faces, but I didn't bother. No. Um, the notes that I do have, just going down the list, I think they're a bit dodgy, a bit shady, but they're not they're not doing anything illegal. I think they just operate in a bit of a grey area. Yeah, um, you know, because they sort of say to George, 
you have to get fired for us to offer you the job, but we're not officially telling you to do that. Yeah. You know, so they they play with rules and they operate. You know, they walk a fine line between what's allowed and what's not allowed in uh, in baseball. That's one thing uh, I didn't understand. Like, why would someone have to get fired to get a job over there? Unless, like you said, they just want to toy with the Yankee stuff. You know, just muck them around. No, no, I think it was legit because they they I think they mention or George mentions that he's still under contract. So yeah. there's probably uh, you know a clause in his contract that you can't accept or consider another job offer while you're technically employed by the Yankees. I'm oh, guessing it's something like that. one of those kind of clauses. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was yeah. a bit so confused about to, that. that. I thought, what? what? Yeah, so that contract would be would be, have to be broken for him to officially accept um, uh, an offer from the Mets. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, I think okay. it would, I think it would be considered a conflict of interest or something like that. Oh, got you. Okay, yep. Um, I couldn't work out either whether they they work for the Mets specifically, whether they're you know recruiting executives, or maybe that they're maybe they're private headhunters and okay. they you know work for for big organizations for talent. Yeah, yeah. But either way, that's obviously their game, um, and they're very good at it. And obviously, um, they they interviewed Wilhelm as well because Wilhelm said that he uh, he's going to get the job when he gets yeah, fired when he gets fired. Yeah, that actually uh, plays into my next point. I don't think that they put up with time wasters. I think they want a decision really quickly because. George what spends a couple of days trying to get fired, yeah. and they've already, they've already thought that's too long, and then they go to the next person, which is Wilhelm. Oh, so I think, okay. So they reckon that went know, straight. So to they, him. yeah, they basically say to George, "You have to get fired." George tries over a couple of days, yeah, but that's that's too long for them. They, yeah. I think they're quite decisive. Oh. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, they they push George aside pretty quickly. They do, yeah. You know, unless they unless they dug deeper into George and um, thought, hang on, what are we even doing? Why yeah. are we such? Why are we <laughs> bothering? They, yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe they maybe they actually figured out that that's not a good good um good good idea to pursue George. And the only other notes I had was that I think they're old friends. You know that they they spend a lot of time together professionally as well as personally. Cool. And uh, they're definitely as thick as thieves. I think as thieves. Yeah, I have to I have to hand you yeah. that. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> definitely. Yeah. Yeah, they're basically the same person. There's no, there's not really any other than you know physical appearance or physical characteristics. There's literally nothing that separates them as people. They finish each other's sentences. They obviously think exactly the same. Yeah, they, they have the same mannerisms, language, everything. And that's um, why we couldn't tell them apart who's Minkler and who's Mooney. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah Minkler, and, and I reckon they've got a bit of a reputation in in baseball, or if they're private headhunters in that industry. Yeah, um, Minkler and Mooney, I reckon they're you know they're pretty well known. For their for their antics. Yeah. Oh, good call, man. Yeah. That's really really extensive notes for very uh, minor characters. Yeah, I really I really like them. Just I think it was good good um good acting between the two. How they sort of um you know finished each other's sentences and just you know when George is talking, just their their um, responses. Yeah, I, I like them. You know, even though they're in one sort of thirty second scene. Birds of a feather, huh? Yeah, indeed, indeed. <laughs> um, the only other mentions that I had, we've already kind of mentioned him, and it, but technically he's a second character, secondary character, because he appears in, I think, the uh, the uh, what, what's the episode, um, the the parade. Um, oh, Puerto Rican oh, Day. Puerto Rican Day parade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, is H.E. Pennypacker. Um, oh, yes. One of Kramer's many alter egos. Many alter egos, yes. We've already talked yes. about him quite a bit and how much we love him, but I just love Kramer as any of his alter egos. Me too. Like, and, it, um, and the Doctor as well. Yeah, Dr. Van Treason or Trent Truman? Dr. Something. Van someone? Dr. Van something, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When, he, um, yeah when Elaine's going out with that, uh, I think he's a psychiatrist. Cra- crazy quite... Joe Duvall. Oh, no, but then, then she goes, oh, yeah, that's right, she tries to break up with a psychiatrist. Yeah, no, Crazy yeah. Joe Devola is one of his clients. That's it, yes, in season four. Yep. Yep. And yep. um and 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 Kramer 
has to try and convince the psychiatrist to let Elaine go as a girlfriend. And then he ends up being a patient. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And um, yeah, he plays his his uh, his alter ego in that episode when he goes into his into his office is Dr. Van Some... Dr. Van Nostrum. Oh Nostrum, that's it, yes, Dr. Van and also he's Dr. Van Nostrum in um in the strike during Festivus. Because actually Kruger, George's boss at the time, he he says, Oh, Dr. Van Nostrum? And then Kramer's like, "Oh, oh yes, yeah. how? Yes, yeah. how do you do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. No, but I like I like Penny Packer uh, better than Ben Ostrom. Yeah, I like Penny Packer too. He's just hilarious. I just love the fact that he introduces himself as a wealthy American industrialist. <laughs> yeah, I know it's good. It's perfect. Yeah, um, and to me, he kind of like as a as an alter ego. He's reminiscent of like sort of uh, you know like post industrial well, in, industrial boom. Yeah. Um, you know, like rich American guys, like the rich, uh, Texan. Like the fat, the, the fat cats of the old, yeah. old American economy, maybe like the rich Texan. Yeah, 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 exactly. Where you know they just they've got no sort of um, uh, no specific agenda other than to make money through industrializing whatever they want to. Exactly, including silver yeah. mines in Peru. Yeah, exactly. So you know, he jumps between ideas. It's like silver mine in Peru. He obviously decided that he didn't want to do that in uh, in the change room. Yeah. Um, you know, he's going to build a roller coaster instead. After he broke the price tag gun. <laughs> After he broke the price gun, yeah. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah. Awesome. Any other and, characters, man? Well, the other mention uh-huh. um, is uh, Christopher Cross. Oh, okay. Yep. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so when Kramer and um, uh, and and Newman are fighting about um, the, the Millennium Parties. Yeah. I put um, a deposit down in 1978. Yeah. And um, he was a, I didn't know who he was, but he, he was actually a, a really popular singer in the early 80s. Ah, cool. Yeah. Um, and I think he might be the singer who sings, I think the song is called Between the Moon and New York City. You know, that famous sort of pop song from the 80s. Oh, do you reckon that's Kramer's reference when uh, Kramer think, says, Kramer says to Newman, when, when, when says, Elaine needs someone warm and cuddly to kiss, you'll be in the middle of the moon in New York City. You'll be stuck between the moon and New York City. Yeah, oh, I think that's, that's why he meant that's a reference to Christopher Chris Cross. Christopher Cross. Yeah, I, th- ah, I think so. Lovely, perfect. Oh, that makes yeah. perfect sense. Yeah, and the only other character, well, the other characters worth mentioning are Newman. Obviously, we've already done said about in episode twenty of the podcast. What's yeah, the deal? Uh, what's the deal um, with Newman? Yeah, we did. Yep, yeah, I just mentioned that before. Yep. Yeah. Yep, and then Wilhelm and Steinbrenner both make appearances. Um, but we're actually going to do a what's the deal with episode in the future about all of the Yankee staff. Yes, what's the deal with Yankee staff, including Morgan as well, the poor soul who uh, George gets fired. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we'll we'll do us we'll do a special on them. Yeah, yeah, we definitely will. So we'll, we'll dive into the to Wilhelm and Steinbrenner at that time. That sounds good. Anyway, that's the yeah. Millennium, and uh, that was really good, man. Yeah, quite a few characters in that one. Yeah, I felt like I dove pretty deep. Oh, you did very well. You dove into the next Millennium, the year 3000. 3001, <laughs> buddy. <laughs> that's it, that's yeah, it. That's it. Hey, how about we take a quick break, and uh, we'll give our top 10 secondaries and top 10 shows. Sounds good. All righty, we'll be back. Hi. Sorry I'm late. There's a lot of chairs and balloons in my apartment. How about I make it up to you with dinner? Someplace nice this time. Yeah, I'm sorry about that Mongolian barbecue last night. I had heard good things. I don't know. Got a two in Zagat's. Let me just uh, check my messages. Maybe a nicer girl called. Hello? Hello? Who's this? Jane? What number did you dial? Seven? 
and welcome back to But I Don't Want to Be a Secondary Character, a podcast about the secondary characters of Seinfeld. Yeah. And uh, this week we're talking about the Millennium, a good no, episode I'm... from uh, season eight of the of the show. Yeah, and, episode uh, twenty of of it. Oh, sorry, Stephen, I cut you off. Season eight, episode twenty. That's right. I I was cutting you off when you introduced yourself. Sorry, bud. That's okay. You really wanted to tell people what episode it was. That's uh, fine. I, I was really keen. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, so far for the podcast, <laughs> we've gone through all of the secondary characters of the show, and now we're going to finish up the podcast by going through our uh, top 10 secondary characters and uh, where the Millennium sits in our top 10 episodes that we've reviewed so far. Yes. So uh, have your top 10 secondary characters changed this week, Ivan? No, I, I mentioned my top 10 in the last two episodes, so if you want to go back and listen to them, the baby shower and the pony remark, uh, just go back into them and uh, skip to about the 55-minute mark and uh, you'll be able to listen to them. I, I can't be bothered mentioning them. But my number one is Frank Costanza. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, but no one yeah, from the same. Millennium in my top 10. I mentioned it to you off-air, Stephen, that Mrs. Hamilton was going to sneak into the top 10, but just missed out, just. Okay, so she would be number 11 or 12, I guess. I guess so, yeah, around then. Okay. Uh, yeah, like Ivan, my top 10 secondary characters haven't changed, but I haven't listed them from 10 to 1 in the last episode or maybe the last two, so I'll just go through them quickly. Sure. So number 10 is Tabachnik, the Russian cable technician from uh, The Baby Shower, which was our 21st episode. Uh, Sid Fields, the old man from our second episode. Uh, both of George's parents uh, as one from uh, episode 10, uh, What's the Deal with the Sign for the Parents? Harold and Manny, again, who I treat as a, as, as a single listing from our eighth episode from series one, The Apartment. Uh, Susan Ross, which uh, who was our first What's the Deal uh, episode. Um, that was episode five of season one. Uh, Celia, uh, Jerry's episode girlfriend from uh, 16th episode, The Merv Griffin Show. Uh, the record store owner, again, from our second episode, The Old Man. Uh, Jane, who is George's episode girlfriend from The Hamptons, which was our first episode of season two, actually, in our 19th overall. Uh, the Street Toughs, Bob and Cedric, from our very first episode, The Soup Nazi. And uh, number one, Alton Bennis, Elaine's father from uh, What's the Deal with the Seinfeld Parents. Again, our second What's the Deal with and our 10th episode overall. Lovely. That's an excellent top 10, man. Yeah, no, pretty good. A good, a good spread. A good spread indeed. Hey, yep. quick question, man. We've reviewed 19 episodes of Seinfeld in the secondary characters so far, not not including the What's the Deals. Where does the Millennium sit for you in the top 19? Uh, yeah, so it took me a little while to decide where it sat. I don't think it was a, an amazing episode. No. Uh, but I just, what really made it uh, a good episode for me when I was considering where it sat was just the fact that it was well-written, the fact that they put four separate storylines into an episode without making it feel too crammed or rushed. Yep. Yeah, If so if there was only two or three of the storylines in the episode, uh, I think I would have ranked it lower, but it jumped in at number eight. Oh, number eight out of 19, that's not yeah. bad. Yeah, so from number eight back down to number one, um, we've got number seven, The Smelly Car, number six, The Outing, uh, number five is The Subway, Number four is The Apartment. Number three, The Pony Remark, last week's episode. Uh, number two, The Baby Shower. Um, and number one is The Stakeout, the second ever episode uh, from season one. Yeah, indeed. Now, I was a bit different, okay. Stephen, because like my the, for me, The Millennium wasn't in my top ten. But okay. it, again, just like The Baby Shower, 
like from from two weeks ago, the baby shower was a good episode, but there were twelve or thirteen better, in my opinion. Okay. And the millennium is the similar. So the millennium for me is at number fifteen out of nineteen. Okay. And not because it's a bad episode; it's only because there's fourteen better ones. Again, just like the yeah. baby shower. Yeah. So my top ten are number ten's the blood, number nine the apartment, number eight the library, seven the smelly car, six the Jimmy, five the pony remark. I moved it up to five <laughs> since we've aired it. I said it was number six, but I decided, you know what, I'm going to move it up over the Jimmy. Why not? Uh, number four. <laughs> It was a last-minute thing. Uh, number four, the Hamptons. Number three, the Bizarro Jerry. Two's the Soup Nazi, and one's the Outing. Okay. Yep. Cool. That's it. And uh, if you have an episode that you want us to do, uh, just get in touch with us at Bidwabask, B-I-D-W-B-A-S-C, on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. Uh, we've also got an email address, bidwabask.com. Uh, sorry, at gmail.com, and, uh, and a website, bidwabask.com. We sure do. And next week, we're going to do the puffy shirt. <laughs> how Our namesake, man. How we got the uh, the name of the podcast. But I don't want to be a pirate. Yeah, and also the uh, inspiration for our logo as well. That's right. And and also the name. But I don't want to be a secondary character. Yes, our, our logo is a microphone wearing a puffy shirt. So uh, Stephen thought, let's do the puffy shirt. It's about time. And I said, yeah, let's Indeed. do it. Sounds great. Yeah, and I think, I think what we'll do is not say anything and be quiet talkers. So we'll talk very faintly into the microphones. You have to to, uh, to to turn up the volume to hear us. I think our subscriber list will just go, done. <laughs> Why aren't we getting any listens this week? Yeah, and then people turn up the volume full blast and then randomly we'll just go, ah! Yeah. <laughs> and everyone's ears, just, just everyone just goes deaf. It's like, ow, oh, my yeah. ears. Yeah. I don't I don't feel too comfortable about uh, affecting people's uh, hearing. Hearing, no, me too. No, we won't do that. We won't do that, people. No, we're not going to do that. Now, before we wrap up the week, I just wanted to go through a couple of Seinfeldisms uh, that happened to me in the last week. So what I do is uh, every week just mention um, some stuff that happens in my day-to-day life that is either related to Seinfeld or makes me think of Seinfeld or any, anything to do with Seinfeld. Life imitating art. Exactly. So the first one, when I was doing a bit of research for this episode, um, I actually found a Twitter account. It's not, not active at the moment. It stopped a couple of years ago, but it was actually uh, a, a Twitter account for H.E. Pennypacker. Oh, no way. Yeah, yeah. And it basically, it, was, it wasn't, you know, overly great. It was just uh, tweets quoting H.E. Pennypacker um, I thought my imagination ran off a bit and I thought it would be cool to do that, but, you know, tweet stuff that H.E. Pennypacker would tweet or say beyond, you know, just quoting Kramer. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, as if as if he was real, like, you know, projects he's involved in as a wealthy, wealthy American industrialist or whatever. <laughs> of course. <laughs> nice. <laughs> you know, his, his, new, his new investments or business interests. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. Oh, awesome! I got, yeah. we got to, we got to like it on our on our Bidwabas Twitter page. We're gonna have to. Yeah, again, it hasn't tweeted for a couple of years, so I don't. Oh. Whoever runs, I don't think would see it. No. Um, but yeah, it, I, I just got a little chuckle out of it. I love um, it. The second one, actually, I just found ten minutes before we started recording. Um, when I was just searching for some last minute Seinfeld news, um, a podcast actually came up in my search results. It's not a Seinfeld podcast uh, per se. Um, but it's a podcast called Overnights, and it's basically just a half an hour long interview podcast. It's done by the ABC, um, the Australian Broadcasting Corporation here in Australia. Yep. And the, the host just talks to authors and artists and musicians, just a conversation about you know a new album or a new book or whatever. And the latest episode, it actually came out yesterday in Australia. Um, or sorry, yesterday as we were recording, which is a few days ago when you when you actually listen to this. It's uh, an interview with 
her name's Jennifer Armstrong, and she actually wrote a book recently um, called Seinfeldia. Seinfeldia. Yeah. Um, and it's about it's basically about Jerry Seinfeld and the show and its cultural impact and blah blah blah. I haven't actually listened to it yet because, as I said, I found it just before we started recording. Yeah. But at some stage in the next week, um, I'm gonna have a have a listen to it. And uh, yeah, I didn't know that the book existed, so I'm gonna try and get my hands on it as well. Oh, fantastic! That that's another one we can add to the uh, studio. Indeed, indeed. Um, yeah. So if you go to if you're in Australia or anywhere, if you just go to abc.net.au, if you type in overnights. Um, it comes up with the podcast, and as I said, I think it's from August 28 or August 27. Lovely. It's only a couple of days ago. Yeah, exactly. Nice. Sounds good, man. Yeah, that's that's all my Seinfeld ones this week. Yeah, I didn't have any this week. I'm <laughs> a bit boring. No, that's fine. You're you're um you're uh you're Valerie. You're a bit boring. Yeah, I am. I'm just like Valerie, yeah. exactly. Not not <laughs> not as famous and rich as her, but uh, you know, whatever. No, <laughs> close enough. Not yet. Yeah, and that was But I Don't Want to Be a Secondary Character for another week. That was The Millennium. My name's Ivan. I'm Stephen. And next week, we're going to talk about the puffy shirt and its secondary characters. So if you're a low talker, you're going to love this one. Yeah, and uh, if you wear puffy shirts, you'll like it as well. So thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. And uh, as I said before, get in touch. Uh, we're on, uh, on uh, social media, at Bidwabask is our handle. Um, send us an email, uh, podcast at gmail.com, and uh, stream us on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast and uh if you'd be so kind as to leave us a review that would be awesome that would be fantastic yep so that's it for another week and uh yeah thanks again for listening and uh we'll talk to you next week ciao ciao